We will be continuing this morning in the book of First Peter, of course. Uh, we'll be looking at First Peter chapter three, verses eight through twelve. Living good days before the Lord. But we will read, starting at the beginning of the section, chapter two, verse nine. Because really he's wrapping up this bit of instruction for us on living as God's people. So starting at verse 9 of chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, 
by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, today we come together in difficult times, where the days seem difficult in trials, where persecution is growing, where suffering is increasing. And we come to this passage, Lord, about living good days before you. And pray as we read it, we might be able to find the good to live in our lives, the good to live with each other, the good to live with you. Bless, Lord, now our brief study in Christ's name. Amen. So he starts off this passage with the word finally. And he's really ending the section we just read or wrapping it up and reiterating it to some extent. Uh, what have we seen in this section? Well, we are God's chosen race, his royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we are therefore to live in a certain way. We are too, in the passage we read, abstain from the passions of the flesh, obeying God, not giving in to sin, but being obedient. That's why we were reading Deuteronomy 6, as it talks about the blessings for obedience and the necessity of obedience in God's people. We are to live here as strangers and pilgrims, mindful that this world is not our home, heaven is, that the lords and kings of this world are not the king of our soul, but Christ is, and that we will live with God in heaven, that we will have an eternity with him. And so for the time that we are in this world, we are just strangers and pilgrims and should treat it that way. And mindful of that, and living our lives in an honorable manner before the Gentiles, we are to live in subjection to authorities. Good or bad, God is the one who establishes the authorities God has put them there. God has organized them such. As the scripture says, the will of the king is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He directs it where he wills. And so we are to submit to them. Rebellion against them is rebellion against God. We are to live in subjection to our masters, meaning our bosses and 
those who have leadership positions over us. Also, this is before the Gentiles so that they don't have anything to complain against us. Wives are to live in subjection to their husbands because that is the order God has intended. And they glorify God when they do so. And husbands will live with their wives in an understanding way that God might be glorified and the wife might be lifted up and encouraged in her life. And so now we come to these final instructions on this section. And he starts off with living in a united manner. We are God's people, all one together. And he lists here some, some graces for us to help us live a life united as a people, under God, and enjoying the blessings and the goodness of our days, not just on this earth, but throughout all eternity. Uh, God has chosen us to live a profitable, a comfortable life with him and with his people, even though this is a wretched and hostile world. So to this end, all of us as believers must strive to the things that he has called us to. Now, there's a very similar passage in Paul's writing in Romans chapter 12, and I'll be making reference to it repeatedly, so I think I'll read that passage. Uh, Romans 12, 9 through 21. Now, his order is different than Peter's, but he has a lot of things to say on this same subject. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Continue. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now that is much along the same lines of the graces that Peter is talking about, and he mentions many of the same things. Uh, Peter, first of all, talks about us being with unity of mind. Uh, having the same kind of heart, the same will, the same purpose in our life. And that should all be centered on God and his kingdom and raising up his church and his people and bringing glory to his name and, and of course, living with him throughout eternity. So they should be pursuing this unity, really, of judgment, of thought amongst themselves, amongst ourselves thinking of ourselves really as part of the same body. 
Uh, we are the body of Christ. Paul brings this up in 1 Corinthians 12. In verses 12 and 13, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free. All were made to drink one spirit. And so we have this unity of body in Christ, which is very important. And Paul mentioned that in Romans 12 that we just saw when he said, live in harmony with one another. And we are all together. We should be working together and living together. We know what it's like when the body is no longer in harmony. I was getting that way for me with the Parkinson's where I go to do something and it doesn't happen like I wanted to because my, my members are not doing the same thing that they're being instructed. They're not working properly together. But when this is true in the church amongst the people of God, it's also a very devastating thing because we are one body. So secondly, he says, having sympathy with one another. Sympathy here being, meaning being concerned with one another's situation and condition as if it were our own condition. Uh, verse 15 of Romans 12 talks about that when he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We are to consider another person's mourning as if it were our mourning and weep with them. Their sickness as if it were our own. Their injury, their poverty, their persecution. Whatever trouble somebody may be facing in the church, it's really all of us who are facing that trouble together. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, talking about divisions within the body, but he says, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The idea being that because we are one body, we should be sharing in all of the things that the other members have going on in their lives. And so when somebody is sick, what do we do? We, we, we help them. We care for them. When they're suffering, when they're mourning, we care. But also... You'll notice even Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. The other half of it is really sharing in the joy of another. Uh, I remember when I was young, <clears throat> I was still in college and in the Army Reserves, and I show up on the drill weekend, and one of my buddies has a brand new sports car, and it had a turbocharger, which was pretty rare back then, and he took me for a ride and showed me how it worked. And my comment was, I hate you. Now, I wasn't real serious. But, and he laughed and said, don't worry. When you graduate from college, you know, you'll be able to start a new life too. But we, we have that sense in us. We don't always rejoice with those who rejoice. We ignore the suffering of others and we get bitter about the joy of others. In our Tuesday night Bible study talking about fear, we talked about David and Saul. Why did Saul hate David? Well, because J David was being praised beyond Saul and he was afraid the people would turn against him. He was afraid of the people. He couldn't rejoice that David, his loyal general, captain of his own bodyguard, was being praised greatly and go, awesome, I have a great general, isn't it wonderful for me? And rejoice with David. Instead, he became bitter and jealous. 
and eventually tried to kill David and plotted against him and even made war against him. Within the body of Christ, that's disastrous. We don't attack ourselves, and we are all in this together. Saul should have rejoiced with David. And so this goes with the unity of mind and the sympathy that we have with each other that whatever happens to one is happening to all. And that is something we should have in mind as a church, as a people of God. Uh, Third, he calls out brotherly love for one another. Uh, That was where Paul had said, let love, love one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor. Uh, It's very important. Oh, in verse 9, love be genuine and abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So our love for one another needs to be genuine. Uh, We need to be trying to outdo each other and honoring each other instead of being self-seeking and self-loving, which is so common in the world today. What's in it for me? The mantra of the modern age. But we are to think what's in it for the body of Christ. What's in it for God? And love each other with that kind of love where we are able then to have the sympathy we were just talking about. We're told as in John, in 1 John three eighteen and 19, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. You know, that brotherly love, the love for the person next to you, the love for the person in the church, the love for the the painfully difficult person, the prodigal, that is a love that if we can have it, if we truly do rejoice when they are blessed, if we have that kind of love, it gives us great encouragement in Christ. It shows us our heart that it is right with God, that we are loving him and loving his people and loving the body of Christ as if it was ours. And greatly important, brotherly love. Now, fourth, he says to be tender-hearted or compassionate. It's similar to number two, but it's also different. Uh, it's not just having sympathy, but here it's uh, showing that sympathy, showing mercy and grace to others. You know, when the person is laid up and sick, it's not just enough to have compassion on them and say, you know, I feel it as if it were me and feel for the person and pray for the person, but also to do what we can for them. They need to go to the doctor and don't have a ride. We arrange a ride. Uh, Are they unable to make their own food? We bring them a meal. Are they unable to go shopping? We do the shopping for them. I know people in this church have done that repeatedly for the members. Uh, That's what it means really to be tenderhearted and compassionate. But also, are they living in sin? Call them to repentance. Encourage them in that. Are they repentant? Forgive them. Because that is what God has called us to do, to to live with each other in that sort of way. Uh, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Psalm 103.13. That compassion is something we should be demonstrating. And number five, the killer have a humble opinion of oneself. Uh, the, the King James here has 
be courteous. And it turns out there's a, a slight textual variant that the King James uses that really unsupported outside of the text they were using. Uh, the idea here is to be humble and have a humble opinion of ourselves. And Paul talked about this in uh, verse 16b, when he says, live in harmony with one another. In verse 18, live peaceably with all. Uh, we have that same idea here of having a low opinion of yourself. You know, if we, if we stand up and say, I don't deserve to be treated like that, it's going to create friction in the church. But if we can overlook the sin, overlook the coarseness of our brothers and sisters, uh, we can have unity. Arrogance divides the body, but humility can be a tool to unite it and a tool of peace. Sinful man often labors to make himself the first, the best, to prove his worthiness. Uh, the believer is going to be judged by God, not by sinful men, and should be able to be humble before God, even as Christ did. Right? Christ, we read in chapter 2, humbled himself, and we've seen even in this book, even to the point of death, and we saw that in Philippians to the death on the cross, the disgraceful death. He was willing to honor himself or humble himself that much. And we also should humble ourselves so that God is glorified and so we can really build each other up. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, oftentimes we want to build ourselves up, and it's a hard struggle for many, particularly those put in a position of authority, to, to, to not do that and to seek to build up the others. Uh, we've talked about this repeatedly of late, you know, trying to make your, your co-workers, your students, your children, help them to grow up, your fellow church members, so that they're greater even than you are. Uh, the glory is not in you being the greatest, but in God being glorified by what we do. And so having that humble opinion of ourselves really helps for making peace and for bringing good days. You know, when there was strife over pride, it's not a good day, right? It, there's friction, there's unpleasantness, there's struggling, there's contesting of wills. Uh, if you've had to work in that kind of an environment or live in it, it's, it's tiring. It's not what you would call a good day. But when all are humble and they live together and acknowledge each other's you know, flaws and continue to rejoice in each other and seek the for that mutual upbuilding that the church is all about, we start to live those good days with each other. Uh, sixth, he continues on, not repaying evil for evil. Now, that's what sinful man does. What you did to me, I'll do to you. In fact, uh, you know, the golden rule is now cursed in many American cities. Do it to them before they do it to you is the law of particularly the inner cities of America. But Christ said, do to them what you want them to do to you. In other words, don't repay evil for evil because that divides us. 
somebody accidentally or intentionally insults you in the church or in the body of Christ and you do it back, what does that build? Resentment and bitterness and strife and contesting. Uh, But if you repay evil with good, it smooths over the situation. It helps to encourage people. A A lot of times people are difficult in the church because of fear, as we've been talking about on Tuesday night. And you can help them overcome that fear by being humble and by repaying their foolish evil with good. But this also applies to those outside the church. You know, when wicked people are doing evil to us and we repay their evil with evil, do they stop? Not really, right? They, they get more angry, more bitter, more resentful, more enraged. Uh, you know, a, a wise word calms over strife and helps to, helps to reduce it. And so being humble and repaying evil with good helps to reduce the hatred to a more manageable level because they will hate God's people. The scripture has been very clear on that. And so we do not repay evil with evil. Proverbs speaks of this in a number of places. Two of them, Proverbs 20.20, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Another encouragement, Proverbs 24.29, Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Now, this is what Peter is bringing back to our mind, this idea of not repaying evil with evil, but repay it with good. There will be justice. It is going to come. Romans speaks of that, particularly towards the end of that passage. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, and if possible, live at peace with all men. Verse 19, Beloved, never revenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says, says the Lord. You know, we don't need to worry about injustice. Yes, we should point out the injustice. We should try to encourage people to turn from it. You know, and, and in the legal sense, when people commit a crime, there's a consequence. That's not what he's telling us to, to skip over but to repay their evil with blessing. Which he goes on to say, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's an Old Testament quote. Uh, The idea being we, we, we do good to them because God has called us to, and we don't worry about it, don't get upset about it, Trust God and do what he's called us to do, which is to be a good witness, to give the enemy no excuse for slander. Uh, <clears throat> in a similar way, not reviling when reviled. You know, when somebody starts hurling insults at you, the first thing you do is hurl them back. And in fact, if <laughs> I was trying to find a, a quote that I remembered a long time ago. And I was looking it up on the computer, you know, re- considering this, not cursing, or cur- what to do when somebody is cursing. And they had lots of instructions for how to properly return a curse to a person to make them even angrier. And it's like, 
Well, you know, Sturgeon's rule applies. 90% of everything is crud. On the internet, I think it's 99.9 sometimes, but yeah, that's the world's view. How do, how do you, you know, somebody insults you, how do you insult them so much back that they feel bad about their insult? Uh, not what Christ has called us to do, not what Peter is saying here and God is saying. When we repay evil for evil, when we repay rude and cruel words with rude and cruel, cruel words, all we do is we increase the suffering, the misery, the anger, the bitterness, the ungodliness. And that's part of the reason why we're called to not do that, to not repay evil with evil. Uh, we'll talk about the other part in just a moment. We're really, where we're going with this, that all of these things, all of these points we've just made from Peter's text, lead us to that living peaceably with everyone. Uh, how do we have good days? It's be right with God and live in peace with our brothers or with everyone around us. And so rather than repaying evil with evil, he tells us to repay evil with good, and that is with a blessing, and thus we earn God's blessing. Christ has called us to do this, if we remember. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And so instead of hating enemies, praying for their needs and for their, re which includes repentance, but also, you know, a lot of times people do evil because they want something they don't have. James told us that, even within God's people. Well, praying for them to get, as is right with God at least, what they desire so that they are less evil. And that way we may be sons of our Father in heaven. Why? Well, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Uh, so we are to do the same, to help even the evil. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that is Christ's calling to us, not to live for ourselves, but to live for God in his kingdom and his glory. And that's where we get into that trouble that I've been talking about throughout the book of Peter. We want to live for ourselves. We want to take care of our needs and our, our happiness and assure that in a worldly sense. But God wants us to take care of his kingdom and his glory and promises us, a reward for that and blessing for that. And if we think about it, we have received a great blessing. Right? Before we were lost and miserable in sin, knowing hell was waiting for us, an eternity of suffering. And while we were still weak at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6 through 8. Now, no one will, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person they might dare to die. God chose his love for us, that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we love our brothers by returning their evil with good. We love the people of this world. We show the love of God to them by returning their evil with good, as God has done for us. 
We were evil. We were enemies. Paul, the prime example of that, the greatest, the chief of sinners, persecuted the church to the death. And yet God showed his love for Paul by sending Christ to die for him. God is rich in his mercy in this area, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace have you been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so again, we've been blessed by God while we were his enemies, while we were dead in our sins. We were blessed. Peter spoke of this in 1 Peter 2.21, this calling of ours. He said, for this have you have been called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Christ suffering for us, we should suffer for him, but also for the evil people and the people who are doing evil, whether they belong to God or not, in order that God might be glorified in our lives. Because we are members, citizens of his kingdom, strangers and pilgrims here, and we are a kingdom of priests. The kingdom of priests, their job is to show forth the glory of God. And thus Christ has called us and Christ has blessed us to do as he did, to suffer unjustly, if necessary, for his kingdom. And we should do as he left his example. And we do good, we repay evil with good, and God will be blessed in it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 11-13, Paul says, To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul is making the point that our work as a kingdom of priests, our job before God, may require at times that we become like him. But we are promised a blessing, and that's how we live our lives, looking forward to the blessing. Not to the things of this world, because we are just strangers and pilgrims here, but God's blessing. Jesus promised it in the persecution we receive, Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, this time from Luke 22, 23, or 6, 22 and 23. Blessed are you when other people hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so they did to the fathers and the prophets. Or so their fathers did to the prophets. You know, the, the persecution side of it, but even within the church, you know, we're, we're facing trials at times with our brothers and we are called upon to bless them. Jesus also promises us this blessing for our sacrifices for his kingdom. Uh, Matthew nineteen twenty nine. Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands 
for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. You know, if we're struggling with our life and with our dealings with others in our homes, in our communities, in our church, and we decide to live sacrificially for God, which is what we're really talking about here, blessing those who misuse us. But even all the other things we talked about, the you know, the sympathy, the compassion, the brotherly love, all of those, there's a price we pay. We, we give up the things of the world that we might have and embrace the things that God will give us. And in doing so, we are promised a reward, a hundredfold reward. Will it come in this life? Well, many Old Testament promises to the Old Testament kingdom said there would be blessings for them, but not everybody is going to receive that blessing in this life. Sometimes we have to wait for eternal life because God may have something greater in plan. You know, we might be called upon to suffer for his kingdom to show his glory and to show our faith. You know, the one who has enough faith to glorify God in suffering can give far more glory than the one who doesn't and who lives a peaceful life. You know, we saw that in Job. Job was living a life very pleasing to God. But to glorify himself and to put the devil in his place, he allowed Job to suffer a great many horrors. He then re-blessed him at the end with double. But that sometimes happens because Job was the man who had the faith. And the one who has the faith can put it to use, even though that's, that's hard. Right? He suffered a lot. But that's where it is. And so to encourage us in this, that we are living a life of self-sacrifice, of self-denial, not pursuing the pleasures of the flesh, abstaining from them, he called us to in chapter 2, you know, living as a kingdom of priests, living as God's people, living as one body, you know, taking on responsibility for all of our brothers and sisters in particular, uh, living a particular way before the godless, even though it involves suffering. Now, to encourage us in this, Peter quotes Psalm 34. He's quoting Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Uh, he quotes it a little short. He shortens it a bit. But he's turning us to the Old Testament, to one of the great promises of God in the passage. And it starts off with, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Now, you might interpret that in what Peter's talking about here as a worldly life, but we know that's not true. The, the love of the world is wrong. First John two fifteen through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, it seems improbable that he's pointing us to hope in a worldly life in that sense. I think rather that it's a spiritual life is meant here, a comfortable one, a life free from remorse for sin, one free from a guilty conscience, free from the fear of hell, Fear from free from the fear of damnation, 
from God's wrath. Free from the bondage to the Old Testament law as a means of salvation. Right? Those are the basics of it. Uh, but a life of Christ, a life of communion with him, a life where we are living righteously and holy and we see God's blessing in our life. You know, if you've ever experienced that feeling that God is there and has helped you in this trial, you, you understand what we're, what we're hoping for. That, Well, many of us felt when we were first saved that, that feeling of God is with us, God is helping, God has done wonderful things for us. Uh, living that life of closeness with him, close communion with him. You know, as we live in this world, whether we have, you know, big house and cars and money and all the things we need and don't have to worry, or whether we live, you know, in a very humble estate, being careful from day to day with our, with what we have. You know, if we have God with us, those days are good. But if God is against us, those days are hard. David talks about in his sin how his bones were wasting away in him and the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. But the opposite is also true. He, he knew when he was right with the Lord that, that blessing of, that glorious blessing, that feeling of God's presence and God's good pleasure upon him. And our life in this world can go either way. Right? If we are living in that feeling of blessing of God and the encouragement of God, and the love of God, and the promise of eternity, we can have great great and wonderful joy and good days in our life, even though things are not always good. Uh, he says, the next verse, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. This is, throughout the Bible, talks about this idea that you know, if we want to be right with God, if we want to live with God, he hates lies. He hates evil. He does good and kindness to people and wants good and kindness from his people. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I do what, as much as it's up to us, we should try to live at peace with all men. In Peter's text today, how do we live at peace with all men? Well, having sympathy for them, kindness for them, love for them being tender-hearted to them, being humble in our own mind, of our own self, you know, being willing to put others first. The, the life in this world comes to an end. Uh, I, I really enjoy the book of Ecclesiastes because it's, it's the answer for the material girl or boy. And chapter 12, he says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He goes on, on to talk about all the horrors of being old. <laughs> I, think, I don't think we need to read that. I think we've got that one down, except for the children. Uh, we, but the idea being, you know, remember God and get your pleasure there said, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Now, those who repay evil with evil, I think, would be included in that. The Lord's face is against them. We want his face towards us. We want him near. We want him to hear us. We want to feel his hand on our life. 
in a positive way. His, his blessing, his comfort, his encouragement. And so Peter has here in this passage turned our thoughts to the Old Testament and to the Old Testament promise that if we live our lives for God, for his kingdom, for his people, for the body of Christ, that there is great reward. And that reward will be perhaps in this life with the blessings on this life. And we can't exclude good things, good material things, because we know Job had them and uh, Abraham had them and David and Solomon had them in part of their life at least. You know, we may receive that kind of blessings, but more, more so and more importantly, the blessings of feeling reconciled and walking with God in our life. So let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the many good and great promises. You have called us to some difficult things here in the book of Peter that we've been looking, first Peter, that we've been looking over this whole idea of abstaining from the passions of the flesh, living as pilgrims, submitting ourselves to authorities and masters and husbands and living rightly and doing rightly before you and including loving our enemies and caring for the body of Christ. And as we read these things, we're encouraged to think of the reward that comes to our faithfulness. It is not fruitless labor to labor for you. It is just delayed reward. And help us, Lord, to look forward to the future and to live ourselves as members of the body of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.